Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I am here today with Mark Petronas. So, uh, Mark, I, I, um, I know we got connected through a mutual friend of mine uh, who races along with myself. And I have actually seen you before. I have seen some of your videos online. And, um, you know, you have a, a, an incredible story of, of survival. And you also have a really important message for folks. Before we get into that, um, tell me just a little bit about what is your world right now for <laughs> racing? Specifically, what am I doing in the racing world? Do you think? That's right. That's yeah. Right. Well, so you know, since my accident, well, we we got a lot of different angles we can go here. But you know, I was in the hospital. You know, coming out of a coma. Um, you know, my wife would say to the people who were visiting me or talking to me, "Okay, now don't talk to him about racing. Don't talk to him about cars. We're not going to sure how he's going to deal with this type of thing." And everybody I would call, the first thing I would say, "So how's, how's your racing season going? How's the car running?" Blah blah blah. Um, so to her chagrin, that's all I really wanted to talk about was racing. Um, right. So obviously it was a race car that put me in the position that I would, that I'm in, you know, racing competitively. Uh, but to that point, you know, after I came out of the hospital and sort of understood the challenges I was going to be dealing with and really what happened. Um, and it's taken me a couple of years to get to the point where I, you know, now I think about, well, okay, this was a one in a million thing that happened to me. The fact if it happened again, it would be one in a billion, but am I willing to basically leave my nine-year-old without, without a father, you know, who, who in this, who in this world needs me to be here and who needs me the most. And it's my son. So, um, I'm not racing competitively anymore. I'll do time trials. I'm instructing. I do, you know, HPDE advanced level stuff and even some coaching, but the, uh, I don't need to necessarily go for a, a gap anymore. You know, that that's, that, that's going to close on me for a plastic trophy and a set of Hoosiers, you know? So I think on the business side, I sort of proven to my customers what I can do in a car. So that when I'm developing things for this Corvette platform, like, Hey, Mark's developing it. He designed it. We know it's going to be fast, but, uh, the will to compete wheel to wheel is sort of as, is not there at the moment, you know, and I've had that's opportunities that just politely turn them down. So tell me about the, um, all the things that you're doing in the business and what's the name of your business? Name of my business is AMT Motorsports. Um, and that is a basically only, only Corvette aftermarket stuff. We only deal with Corvettes because that's what I know. So I started building a uh, C5 for racing about 2014 and said, you know, why am I buying these parts? Some of them from China from wherever of questionable quality when my background is CNC machining. I own a CNC business. So I uh, built a couple parts for myself. 2016, the AMT Motorsport um, company was really launched, and we've been servicing C5 and now the C8 Corvettes with the high, you know, high quality suspension stuff, safety components. My seat mount saved my life. I'm happy to pat my own back uh, for that one. Um, but yeah, really focusing on, you know, 95% of my customers are track and race guys, and then maybe 5% street cars, you know, drag cars, stuff like that. But my core customer base is getting their cars on track, and that's what I do, and that's what we try and develop parts for. Gotcha. Well, let's let's go ahead and and share a little bit about for people that don't know you and mm -hmm. share um, your story and what happened and um, and then some of the lessons from that. Sure. Well, yes. I mean, I've got 
there's plenty of resources out there that they're speaking about that directly. Um, you know, a lot of blog posts and a lot of articles. I did some some webinars, Theon Von Moke and his Blaze platform, which were really cool. Um, but yeah, so that, so what you know, so my you know, our back, my background was HPDE. Started racing in 2014, or sorry, 2015. Uh, won a lot of races and some championships along the years. And then fast forwarding to you know 2021, which is when my accident happened. Uh, we were at a race at in New Jersey Motorsports Park at Lightning. Uh, mixed, you know, mixed, mixed series race. I was, you know, we were on track. I was one of the fastest guys on track. There were guys that were 15 seconds a lap slower than me. So we're all trying to navigate that traffic as best we can. So, and I caught up to a guy, two guys really. And um, one of them was all the way track right. One of them was all the way track left. And we're exiting a feature of the track called the light bulb. And um, so the guy, you know, we obviously, we don't have to give point buys when we're uh, competing wheel to wheel. But, uh, you know, so there's a, I, I, so the guy's all the way left. He's all the way right. I have an option to go up the middle. And I was hesitating. I, w- I was not going to go up that middle because I was winning the race by, you know, several seconds. I was like, I'm just going to wait for an opportunity. But the guy on the right gave me a point by to go up the middle. So I said, okay, he knows I'm here. I know he's there. Um, hopefully we'll give each other, not hopefully, I expected that we give each other an ample amount of room to, to negotiate that situation. But he as a rookie and not having been to that track before, didn't quite realize that the track starts to pinch in as you go over the hill. So he pointed me by his focus is sort of forward, not so much concerned about me. And then just naturally the track is pushing him into me. Um, and I did not give him as much room as I could have because my understanding being that he, he was the one who gave me the point by, he was likely the person that was, um, you know, more aware of my surroundings, more so than the guy on the left. So I'm, you know, a foot away from him. He's a foot away from me. And just, you know, two things happened at the exact wrong time at the exact wrong place. And he ended up uh, smacking my rear, you know, coming to punch, pinching me and hit me in the right rear tire pretty hard. And I wasn't really sure what really caused the accident at first. And until I recovered the footage and really saw what happened. Hits me in the right rear tire. My whole car lifts up and you can hear the motor, you know, the engine spin up. So like the wheels are actually spinning while I'm up in the air, essentially. And there was no, I was just going for a ride after that. So landed back down, started going backwards off the track at 115 and managed to go far enough off the track fast enough that I hit a tree about a 45 degree angle backwards at 70 miles an hour, which would have been about an 85 G impact. That impact knocked me out uh, unconscious on the spot and blew up the fuel tank. So as soon as I hit the tree, we were, I was on fire and I got all the footage from the inside of my car before the GoPro melted down. So I can sort of count the seconds and, and the guy that I connected with, he, he spun off as well. Didn't, you know, he kind of went through the, the trees with some brush and smacked up some of his body panels, but really no serious damage. So, but he had both cameras running. So I can hear from the back of his camera. He had a GoPro facing out the back of the car, I and mean, that ran the entire time. Unfortunately, or maybe maybe it's fortunate that his front-facing camera was a Smarty Cam, and so that would have caught the entire terrible scene on camera. But his uh, you know, his RPM drops and the, and the camera shuts off. So anyway, so we have a camera running in the back. We can hear everything that's happening. So by the time you know I hit the tree. About 70 seconds later is when the safety crew started arriving. It's when the civilians who saw the accident happen started arriving, um, started trying to put the fire out, but the fire would come back because there was so much fuel that was on fire. They just couldn't really control it. So they would work on it for a few seconds, work on me for a few seconds and bounce back and forth between the, the situations. So all told, I was in the car for about three minutes and 15 seconds before they, before they pulled me out of the thing. Um, and this is also, you know, they see me put me on a stretcher um airlifted to uh, Crozier Chester Hospital and that's where I was for four months where I was recovering from 35% of my body was third and fourth degree burns my whole hand was fourth degree 
you know, basically down to bone and tendon. My elbow was fourth degree and whole right side of my body from my knee up to my neck was basically third degree burn. So I got all skin grafts there. And of course, third degree on my left arm. And it was a bit of a mess, you know, a hell of a thing. But uh, here I am still here doing sort of doing what I love to do, you know, so, and then now preaching this message of this is a terrible thing that happened, but it does happen. How can I be of service to help people be more aware of it? You know, what have I learned? Things of that nature. So, I mean, and I understand too, with the G forces, when you hit, you were knocked unconscious. I mean, yeah. you were just unconscious um, mm -hmm. until they pulled you out. Is that right? Yeah. And I, yes, that is right. And I had to sort of get some, some verification on that because, you know, if you ever watch the video, there's a, there's audio of me like being in physical pain, which really bothered me when I first saw it because nothing, nothing really bothered me except for that. I was like, could I have done something? Why, if I'm making noise, why was I not fighting to get myself out of the car? You know, why was I just sitting there being burned alive? Um, I spoke with some neurologists who said, no, when you're unconscious, your body does respond to pain. You do make audible groans and noises and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I was very much clearly out cold, responding to the pain of being on fire, but nothing I was able to do for myself, unfortunately. Can you talk about some of the safety equipment and measures that 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 really saved your life? Yeah, it was a combination of, you know, I often say that there is a million things that, you know, if you look at the if you look at the whole race footage, any single, you know, I passed like 50 cars in the first few laps and I'm here, I'm here, I'm there. If anybody had placed their car in a different spot at exactly the different time, any different time, I wouldn't have been there. You know what I mean? So there's a million things that all went wrong to put me in that position at that time. But I also more powerful than that is a million things that went right for me to survive in the first place, you know? Um, but yeah, the specific safety gear I was wearing was, um, Alpen stars, pretty much everything, the GP tech line, which is like one from their bottom. So really high tie in help and help and stars stuff, Stilo helmet, very specifically with the visor down. So we'll probably talk about this, but my whole side of my visor is cooked, you know, it's bubbled up, it's burned up. So if my visor was open, I would have third and fourth degree burns on my face, which is a very difficult emotional thing for a burn survivor to overcome. I happen to know, um, my seat mount, which we made, I mean, again, a severe reverse 45 degree impact. So all my weight was going into my seat mount, which you know, we designed and built and that didn't thing didn't budge. So I was really proud of that. Um, I had fire suppression, but, um, it was not an automatic fire suppression system. And so now obviously, you know, after I was, I was coming out of the coma looking at Facebook and my brother's talking to talking on my behalf. Everyone's saying, Hey, what can we do to help? You know, it's like, what you can do to help is go out and protect yourself with a automatic fire suppression system. And most people didn't even know things existed, you know, before my accident. And then I was, you know, pleased when I, when I realized, you know, checking the state of things that you pretty much couldn't buy one in this country for a matter of months because everybody went out and bought them. They were all back ordered. They were all sold out. So that was rather touching. Um, so yeah, unfortunately my onboard fire suppression system didn't do anything for me because I was unconscious and un, you know, unable to operate it. And I guess the other important thing I learned was that if you're setting up your pull handles, right, for your fire suppression, I had one in the middle of the car and I have one on the driver's side, on the passenger side B pillar. The B pillar was up against a tree burning and no one's going to jump into your car when it's on fire to pull your center handle. So for God's sakes, put your, put your, put your two handles where you can be accessed on both sides of the car. In the video, you can see, you know, Ryan walks up to my car. It's on fire. He's looking at me. He just starts waving his hands, trying to bring help. You know, if I had had a fire pole right there for him to pull it. Yeah. I mean, it maybe wouldn't have, you know, avoided all injury, but it certainly would have cooled me down for 30 seconds point that my situation would have been better. Maybe it would have put the flames out in the cabin so that he could have worked on my belts right there and pulled me out of the thing, you know? So that's a, a big regret of mine. 
which most people don't do. So it's, it's hard to, it's always, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but that's one of the main things I preach now. Make sure that your fire pole handles are accessible on both sides of the car because no one's going to run into the middle of your car when it's on fire to pull that thing. Yep. Um, so can you tell me how do the automatic ones work? Is it just heat or is there some, what else, what triggers mm -hmm. them? There's a couple different versions. The electric ones, which I don't find to be super elegant, so I didn't go this way, but the electric ones, you can put, it's called the protecto wire, I think it is. And essentially it sort of melts down at some, at some temperature, some temperature level. Um, and it just kind of makes, kind of shorts the fuse and, and shoots the detonator off and away it goes. I didn't like that idea so much. So after I got out of my accident, um, see, I was in, I was in the accident in May, got out of the hospital in August, home but so i actually was able to go to pri that year in december so you know seven months or so after the accident i went to pri everybody there who knew knew what had happened to me and wanted to talk about fire safety and so i talked with lifeline i talked with spa talked with all the big names and spa has a, a pretty pretty classy system which i like the most which is why i you know i'm involved with spa they've got a little aluminum, aluminum block it's essentially just like a little um a bulb you know, like a thermal bulb and like you have in your ceilings for your sprinklers and if that thermal bulb reaches X number of temperatures, I usually supply them with a 200 degree bulb. If that bulb senses 200 degrees, it just melts down and releases all the fluid, you know, so you can put that remote block anywhere you want. Uh, you know, if it's, if you're, too, if you're concerned about you know, your personal safety, then put it in your driver's compartment. If something happens in that car and it's over 200 degrees, the bulb breaks and away goes the fluid and, and it does its thing. So I think that's a pretty ingenious way of, uh, of dealing with that situation. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And it's like it's that expensive, you know. You know, sometimes you hear the argument, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm only putting this fire suppression system in here because the organizer is making me." Right? You have to have a four nozzle, whatever, ten pound. You know, NASA. After my accident, you didn't have, you could, didn't, you couldn't, you could race with just a fire extinguisher in your car, which I always thought was kind of crazy. So I always had a, you know, a full system. But to add that automatic option, that's like another 250 bucks. I mean, spend the 250 bucks and maybe save your life or save your skin or $10 million worth of hospital pills, however you want to look at it. Yep. Yep. Um, so if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tell me a little bit more about, um, let, let's talk a little bit about how you got started because uh -huh. everyone has a, an interesting story. And I, and I realized when you were talking that you were racing in NASA. NASA. Is that uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Have you raced with any other organizations? Uh, that's the only one I've been, well, that's not true. No, I've competed wheel to wheel with NASA. I did some lemon stuff, you know, before I ever touched NASA. And while I was in NASA, I did a couple of endurance races with AER. Uh, but as far as sprint racing, I've only ever sprint, sprint raced with NASA. Got it. Uh, well, before that. So I mean, if you want to go all the way back, I mean, I got into HPDE in 2006. I was 24. So I've been doing this for quite some time uh, with the Audi Club um audi club north america uh, i'm sorry northeast the neq chapter um so from 2006 i started driving with those guys in a volkswagen gti 2010 i became an instructor uh with those guys 2013 i think two, maybe 2013 or 14 is when i bought my c5 corvette 
And then, um, you know, quickly realized, hey, this thing's really fast. We should put some better brakes on this thing. I needed a cage. My son was born in 2015. Yeah, so that's when the cage came. And then a natural progression from putting a cage in a Corvette is now, where am I going to race this thing? So I think, yeah, 2015, 2016 is when I really started competing uh, wheel to wheel. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, where, where are you normally, where are you located at? I'm in upstate New York, a little bit north of Albany. Okay. okay. And then where, what tracks, you stick to tracks near you or where have you been? All over the U.S.? Or? I haven't been all over the U.S. I've been as far, so mid-Ohio, I've raced in mid-Ohio. Uh, we go up to Mont-Tremblant near Montreal, uh, to not to race, but for HBDE stuff. I've never raced at VIR. I've been as far south as VIR. That's not true. I've been to Sebring. But it's like up on our race, you know, so I've driven all these tracks, but, you know, our race, our race uh, schedule kind of bounces around mid-Ohio, Watkins Glen, Lime Rock, Palmer, Massachusetts. Uh, New Jersey tracks. Those are like those are like the six or seven tracks I race at frequently. Got it. When when you did on a race on those tracks, or even if you're driving them in a in a um a, a DE or HP high speed event, mm -hmm. is there any that are your favorites? Walkins Glen, baby, that's my favorite. Well, I don't know why. That's, that's that's a track I started driving on, like way back. You know, I did my first drive again in 2000 when I was 18 years old. My dad had got a new C5 Corvette again with the Audi Club. We both signed up. I don't remember how we got hooked up with the Audi Club, but so we both took his car. He was an intermediate only because I was driving his car in novice. Um, so yes, my first track ever was Watkins Glen, which a lot of people are scared of. Uh, and I think, you know, given my experience, like I, I, I now know that, you know, Armco sucks to hit. It's going to screw up your car. It's going to ruin your day, but it's not like a treat. It's not going to stop you. It's not, it's the instant stop that kills you folks. It's not the high speed. It's, it's, it's the 120 to zero, which causes you damage. So yeah, it sucks to get in an accident at Watkins Glen. I haven't actually done it. Uh, we were at 2000, the 2016, the national championships were there and I was sharing my car with a really good friend of mine. Mine. and he crashed it on thursday practice at turn nine right into the wall i didn't he just lost it he was doing tt i was going to race wheel to wheel and i forgot what i was doing during the day but he went out for a tt session and put it right in the wall and <laughs> ripped the whole front end off at watkins glen so you have expensive wrecks at watkins glen but not usually really really you know bodily harm wrecks um so anyway yes i've always been a watkins glen fan i, lo I love vir Sebring's cool, uh, but if I had to pick one track to spread my ashes on, it would be Watkins Glen. All right, cool. Um, any particular races that you've been in that were a fond memory and you'll never forget it was one of the best races? Hmm. Yeah, a couple. Um, every, so every time I race at Lime Rock, and I guess it's only memorable because I've, I've, I've led every, I've, I've led every lap I've raced at Lime Rock. I've, I've lapped almost everybody up to except up to third place. So I don't know why Lime Rock's 90 minutes from me. So I guess it's my home track and it's probably the track I'm just the most comfortable at. Um, so yeah, I always win at Lime Rock, which is always kind of fun. Um, but beyond that, like starting from pole or starting from second and winning, there's not that memorable. It's not that memorable to me. It's where things didn't go right and you start all, all the way at the back of the pack and somehow make your way up to first or second place. That's that's what the races I remember. And I think 2019, I was at New Jersey Thunderbolt and I somehow just didn't qualify. So I'm like, you know, starting 15th, not even in my own class. There was like you know, nine or 10 guys in my class and then some other cars and then me. Um, but like by the fourth or fifth lap, I work my way up to second place. And then I'm reeling in my buddy, Mike Phillips, who's in first. And he's, you know, we're, we're, we're right around both running like high 123s at Thunderbolt, which is really fast for the class. But, you know, he would catch a guy 
and I, I was sort of managing the pace a little bit, uh, managing traffic a little better than he was. So I'd scooch by a guy faster and he would drive off the track and I'd get past him. We had a bunch of, it was a, it was a dog fight, you know, for like, you know, the whole 30 minutes. So yeah, that was probably my, my most fun race was starting from last and winding up in first, you know, it's, if, if, you, if you just start in first and lead the whole thing, it's just like an HPDE. And that's kind of what it is at, Lime, at Lime Rock. Every time I've raced, they're like, Hey, I'm starting in first. The only cars I see are the guys I'm passing. And no one ever really challenges me. So it's cool. It's cool to like be dominant like that, but it's a lot more fun to come from the back and pass everybody and, and really get in the mix. You know, you know, it sounds like if you can manage to lap everybody, you still get the sensation of uh, passing. <laughs> well, there's plenty of passing, but it's just not, not as exciting when no one's fighting you for it. You know? Yeah, I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. So um, for people that want to get started in, you know, uh, racing or just understand if it's the right thing for them, um, how would you suggest them kind of dipping their toes in before jumping in to make sure that it's right for them. Are we talking about, so they've gone through the HPDE ranks and say, okay, now I want to try racing. Let's say they haven't even done anything in a car on a truck. Oh, they haven't started. Well, to me, I don't know. There's, there's, there's always two ways of going, going, I guess, progressing. A lot of people will do a skip barber thing, which automatically gets you some sort of license. But to me, I don't know. I don't feel like that's enough. I think you should, to me, like racing, that's, the, the, the fun thing about racing to me is is the high speed game of chess. It's not it's not understanding how to drive a car. Everybody I race with drives really really well, um, and some of them are a lap time within a second or so, and that's fine. But it's it's what do you do when you get to this guy who doesn't want you to pass, knowing how to manage the flow, knowing when you change your line. So I don't I don't personally believe that hopping into like some sort of racing event soon in your career is probably better best for you or for your or your racing compatriots so to speak i know a lot of people do it that way um but if i had to say hey if you're asking me how do i suggest you get into being on track on cars i mean i'd say start at the hpde ranks you know work your way up you get faster and faster cars you break more and more parts you spend more and more money like by the way folks this is not a cheap sport and 99.9 percent .9 of the time you're paying for it so you better figure out uh probably sooner rather than later that this is an expensive sport and if you just show up at a skip barber event and give them your five grand and say oh i'm a race car driver now well maybe but do you do you have the rest of what it takes um so i'd say progressing through the hpde ranks for me it was really really great to do a lemons event or two or three i think before i actually got my comp license you got a bunch of yahoos that you're racing with in lemons but it's cheap track time and, and you get really comfortable really fast with being super close you know, there's 120 cars sometimes at some of these endurance events and they're all passing everybody. So uh, when I went to comp school, you know, the biggest thing that people were concerned about was being doing three wide drills, two wide drills, driving mirror to mirror with guys the entire time. Like, hey, I do this all the time for, you know, 70 times in a lap, so to speak. So I think that's that's probably a good progression. And if you don't like lemons racing, then you ain't going to like sprint racing. I know a lot of, you know, a lot of guys who are really, really fast drivers, chief instructors, um, good friend of mine, he said, Hey, I'm gonna go try a lemons race. Just wasn't into it. You know, racing wasn't his thing. He's much happier just doing HBDE level stuff. So I think rather than assuming that, Hey, to be competitive wheel to wheel racing is where I want to start. I think that's usually should be the, the point where you wind up, you know, just make sure you love this thing before you want to invest all that time and resources to get to the yep. uh, competition level, you know? So for people who don't know mm -hmm. what the lemons format is, can you explain how that works? Right. So, well, and I, I, when I was, you know, I'm talking going back to like the early 2010s here, I think I'm not sure how popular 
lemons or what we called crap can racing still is. Um, I think I know they got events all the time, but the idea of lemons was that it's a $500 car, you know, not inclusive of the safety cage seats. You can spend whatever you want on the cage and seats and safety gear, and you should spend that money. But the car itself should be a ship box. And if it's not a ship box, then they're going to give you penalty laps and this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, me and my brother started lemons racing with another father son team and like a E28 five series, like a 1977 five series BMW, by no means a fast car. Uh, but it ran every single lap that we that we put it in, you know. Um, so that was that was the lemons experience, you know. And we were like we were at New Jersey Thunderbolt, New Jersey Lightning, like eighty five cars on a two mile track is a lot of passing, you know. You got to really know how to manage traffic. So that's why lemons was cool. You really had those opportunities and just to be on track with that many cars. Um, and lemons is probably the you know for at least it was and probably still is a good stepping stone because you didn't need to have a competition license. Um, Race speeds are a lot slower. Hopefully, the level of danger is a lot less. But they do take their car prep seriously, so you do have to be in a safe car. Um, but like AER, for example, you need to have a race license, or you at least got to show you've had some some time trial experience. If you don't have a license, they kind of check your background because they do want more serious racers in some of the higher level, um, you know, endurance events. But like you know, uh, Lemons Champ Car, I believe, is still a, a low budget series, so that's a good place to start after you've gotten. Your, your feet wet sort of on HBDE level, I think. Cool. Well, I want to give you a chance to give a shout out to either sponsors or friends and family who kind of helped you along the way. Um, it is really, really nice to hear that, um, that you that you survived, you're getting better. You've probably been through multiple, multiple, multiple surgeries. I just had surgery number 24 yesterday, as a matter of fact. So I'm racking them up. Yeah, uh, no, well, my you know, I'm gonna, my biggest sponsor is me, AMT Motorsport. Uh, but some friends who've helped me along the way, you know, Finspeed Wheels has been great to me. Forge Line Wheels has been great to me. Fast Auto uh, in New York City, my friend Adrian. Adrian's actually the one who pulled me out of the car and saved my life. Um, Adrian's been a lifelong, you know, not a lifelong, but friends since since I started doing racing. He was one of the first guys I rent, I raced against. So Adrian Lostowski is now racing professionally in Trans Am Two, and they're coming up to uh, Lime Rock here uh, in Memorial Day, and I'll be there all weekend long. We're doing some filming, talking about his side of the story, how he saved my life. He doesn't like to talk about, like, hey, everybody, listen to this story. Adrian saved my life. Let's get let's get this thing out there. So I talked to the, the Trans Am Pirelli series. Said, hey, well, you really should film something. You want you want an impressive vignette to air during your commercials or whatever to talk to adrian so he and i are going to film some stuff uh for that weekend um but yeah i mean that's that's it i mean you know adrian's and a couple of little sponsors i mentioned have helped me out along the way been integral in, in helping me form this passion that i have and giving me the opportunities to be here with you today and still tell my story so it's always good to have people around to support you my wife of course so yeah it's been it's been a journey so, Mark, I'm going to share, um, you sent me some links, and one of them is that video that you shared. I think that's a really powerful video. I'll share it in for everyone who's listening. I'm going to share it in the description for the podcast and the YouTube channel. Um, you should definitely check that out. You'll hear a little bit more information about what happened. But, um, man, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Of course. And, um, you know, I hope to run into you sometime and cross paths figuratively figuratively speaking that's right just figuratively <laughs> right <laughs> maybe maybe a high five that's, that's that works good. too that works too awesome mark thank you so much have a great uh rest of the week and i'll let you know when this stuff's ready same to you carrie thanks very much
I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like, but I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag. 